Awesome. The title of my study today is Count the Cost. You see, we need to count the cost of what it is in this life that we're living. We, we can't walk around in this life undiscerning and, and uncircumspectly. You see, Paul, he exhorted the Ephesians as we've been learning in the, the Friday night men's study to walk circumspectly. And that idea to walk circumspectly, it, it literally means if, if you had a circle and then put a dot in the middle of that circle, that that dot, let's say that was you, you'd be aware of all the surroundings. That word circumference comes from it. Of what's ahead of you, where, where you're going, where you're at, what you're leaving behind, and even in the attacks of the enemy, what's going on around you. So we need to be discerning in our life. We need to count the costs. When I think of counting the costs, it's, it, I, I think of this funny story that my friend and his wife experienced. They went out to eat at this uh, nice breakfast spot, and they were, they were loving the food, and, and the wife was like, oh, orange juice. Yeah, I want an orange juice. And then she, the, the waiter would come around and be like, oh, do you want me to refill your drink? And she'd be like, oh, yeah, please, more. And she was just down in the orange juice. She was just going for it. And then later on, when they got the bill, all of a sudden my friend was looking at the bill like, dude, $50? Like, what's going on with the bill? And he looked at orange juice times four, and it was just like a ridiculous price <laughs> for orange juice. So they didn't prepare. They didn't count the cost in that little kind of story there. But sometimes in our life, that's what we do with our walk. We're kind of jumping into things without really being aware of, of the reality and the situation that God is calling us to, of what's going on. So I want to read to you guys out of Luke chapter 14. I want to read these verses. Look, let's start with verse 25. That's where we're at to the end. It says this, Now a great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, who comes against him, with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So counting the cost. You see, in, in, where we're at right now in Luke's gospel, remember as Luke is documenting what's going on, Jesus is fulfilling his lifetime ministry. 
And last week, we saw that Jesus was there with the Pharisees. And he was performing miracles amongst them and teaching them what true ministry was, what it meant to have a relationship with the Father. And now he's going to leave the Pharisees and be joined with many people. It says the multitudes then begin to be around him. And he starts to give them these disciple principles again. So let's look at verse 25 and 26. It says, Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus here, he's beginning to warn the multitudes because he knew some of them had their priorities wrong. Some of them had their priorities a little mixed up. Now, Jesus, when he says to them, look, in order to be my disciple, you need to hate your father, mother, brother, children. Is this your proof to be like, aha, see, I can't, I can hate my brother. I can hate my mom, my dad. This is it. Jesus said it. I can hate him. Obviously, a verse like this, when you put it in context with the entire Bible, you know that Jesus isn't telling people to hate their mother, their father. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments was to honor your mother and father. So when you look at the Greek word for what hate means, it literally means love less. So, of course, we're not to hate people. Why? Because family is our ministry, which is going to be my first point of the study this morning. I want to encourage you guys to to bring notes, uh, a notepad to, to write these points down so that we can remember what it is that the Lord is teaching us. Point one, family is your ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See the priority? If we don't look after our family, we're worse than an unbeliever. That's, some, that's someone who's on their way to hell. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible also teaches us, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So look at the priorities can't get mixed up. If your house isn't in order, how are you going to come and expect to put the church in order? Now, even if you're single here today, if you're not married, I want to exhort you guys to make sure that the person you marry knows that God is first. Something my mom always told me was, she would say, Salvador, you need to make sure that the woman that you marry loves God more than you. And I was like, do you, wait, do you mean that she loves like God more than I love God or that she loves God like more than me? Which one is it? But either way, it's that she loves God more than me, the person. That she has to put God first. And Lisette and I have had some deep conversations before we even got married uh, about balancing ministry and, and family life. And, and how it's going to impact us. And, and some of the, we talked about what we felt were going to be some of our struggles and how we were going to get through this and overcome and asking God for discernment and all these things. 
Because what your family thinks and says about you reflects your walk. You know, I, I've seen funerals where, man, some of these men and women who, who have gone on into heaven have been praised by their family. And then I've also seen funerals where there's only maybe a handful of people who show up and, and the words that are spoken of them are, are very short. And you kind of wonder, man, I wonder how this person lived throughout his life or her life. You see, I've even sat with, with pastors and had conversations about, well, okay, it's, it's family first, right? And then, and then ministry. And they said, you know what? God has to give you discernment in each individual situation. Because sometimes family is going to be first. And other times God's going to call you to make that sacrifice where you have to be with the church and your family's at home. And in that case, I know as a leader that my family suffers. They pay a price. And it, it's something that the Lord has to put in their heart. It's something we need to grow in. But our family is not to take the place of God. Let's read verse 26 one more time. He says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father, or that's love less, his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Which leads me to point two. No one takes Jesus' place. Remember, as he was calling disciples to himself, he called one would-be disciple, and the, the guy responded, well, let me first go and bury my father which was a term of procrastination back in their time. And he was putting family first and, and he didn't really want to follow after Jesus. Now in this point, remember Jesus is surrounded in the multitudes when he's teaching. And this happened even before. Remember if you guys remember in Luke chapter eight, when the multitudes were surrounding him, Mary and some of Jesus's brothers came to Jesus and they were trying to get to him. And some of the people who were there in Luke chapter 8, verse 20, they said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, this is not a put down of his brothers and mom. He's not putting them down. What he's doing is he's saying, Jesus is saying, look, those who hear his word and do it, the relationship is that of family, of that, that connection. And, and I, I got to admit, I've gone through seasons in my life when I was, especially when I first became a believer, when my family wasn't used to me being at church all the time, when suddenly I started being at church all the time where they'd be like, oh, like, hey, can we come to this event? And, and not that I didn't want to go to that event, but I would have to explain to them, oh, like, I, I, I got to be here because it's the Wednesday night high school study or, or they're having an event that my heart, the Lord was calling me to that. And I have to recognize that, look, my family is going to feel that emotion, that pain. And I can't be so callous to it of like, oh, you guys just don't understand. You don't get it. I'm high and mighty. And, you know, if you guys were as Christian as I was, then you guys would be okay with it. No, I can't be that way. I have to be loving and still empathetic towards them. Because 
There's going to be times that we're going to have to say no. And there's wisdom in that. Now, we're not rejecting or abandoning the family. I don't want us to think that we're rejecting or abandoning them. And we're not also, I don't want to minimize the importance because family is very important. God teaches us that. But when we put God over family, it allows us to teach our children that God comes first. Because that's what we need to do. We need to raise up the next generation. And then when you put God over family, it allows us then to also teach and discuss our faith with our family members. When they're like, hey, like, uh, why, why can't you come to this uh, crazy Halloween party where there's gonna, just going to be drunkenness and, and craziness. How come you can't come to it? And we're going to say, hey, well, you know, I actually have a conviction on, in my heart on that and begin to explain to them because the Bible teaches that drunkenness is a sin. And using discernment in these situations that you guys come across. God over family is going to allow us to show that we love God. And God, he is going to get that worship and that praise that he deserves. So, you know, this coming season with all the things that are going on, it's going to get busy. Life's going to get busy. And you guys need to be there for family. And we, last week we were talking about how we're to be humble before our family. So let's not leave that heart. Again, in verse 26, he says at the end of there, whoever does not hate and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You see, I realize I have to love this life less than Jesus. I can't be so holding on to my life with all the good things that God is doing that I begin to, to worship what he's given me rather than worshiping God himself. One of my favorite authors, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this phrase. He said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now that's not a very great sales pitch, is it? Most salesmen are going to be like, hey, come this and the, li- the life expectancy on this is forever. And this new green nutrition is going to give you like bigger muscles and all these things. But then Jesus is saying, come and die. It's like, whoa. I... And yet we know the truth that those who give up this life for Christ will gain it. He will gain them, give them that true life, that purpose filled life. Look at verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which leads me to point three. Let the self die. We have to let our old self, our old fleshly nature, we have to let that die. And he says, if you don't do this, you are not a disciple of Christ. That word disciple, it has the word discipline in it. It's related to it. Because there, there is discipline that needs to take place in our life. And if we lack that, then it's, we, we struggle in following after Christ. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, 
If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I remember when I, w- when I was studying this a, a few months back, or maybe like a month back when we were going over this chapter, I saw this kind of, uh, this process. It's first you desire to go after Jesus, and then you have to deny yourself the old ways. And then you have to die to yourself, and then you have to follow Jesus. So what does it mean for you guys when it says to bear your cross? What are those things that God has called you specifically to, to die to yourself in? Because we're not literally, thankfully at times, we're not literally having to go get a cross to be nailed upon. So how do we then die and bury our, or carry our cross? What does that look like for us individually? And I'm thinking, what are those things that God is calling you to that are hard? Maybe they have some of those things in your mind. What about marriage? Is there a lot of death to self in marriage? Absolutely. My, my friend David, uh, I remember he, he told me as, before I got married, he said, I, I feel like marriage, that God designed it to put a man and a woman together and then to just completely destroy the man or the woman, like just like where God is just going to like, he uses it just to like completely make you humbled and just broken. And I was like, Oh, that's a great encouragement for marriage. <laughs> but there's some truth to that. And because then in, in a marriage, then you start to see, man, there's someone now who you're accountable to, who is going to see the flaws and hopefully point you to the Lord in them and that you can correct yourself in them. The, the men and I, on this past Friday, we went deep in Ephesians chapter five on, on what it is, the, the God's marriage between a man and a woman. And we went deep on it and it was great. And, and one of the things I, I left with was this verse, Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So something I recognize is that Christ died for his church. He died for the, for the body. That's all of us. Now, most men, most married men, I think we'd be willing to say, honey, I'll take a bullet for you. I'll do it. I'll get in the way and I'll take the bullet. But then when she goes, oh, can you just pick your socks up off the floor? Oh, that's too much. That's too much. You're asking for a lot right now. But it's, <laughs> you see, it's, it's harder to live for something at times than it is to die for things. Because there's a lot more long suffering and, and self-denial in, in living. It's an ongoing process. So our marriage, are, are we dying to ourselves in our marriages? The Bible teaches us, and we're not politically correct here. The Bible teaches us that the man is the leader of the home, that he leads, that he has to die to himself, and that he's to love his wife, and the, the wife needs to feel the love. Because then if she doesn't feel the love, it's hard for her at times to honor and respect her husband. Now, men and husbands, cover your ears for a moment. <laughs> 
because this is just for the women. Women, you guys are to honor and respect your husbands. All right, guys, you could uncover your ears. <laughs> but that's what the Bible teaches us. And the reason why I do that is because, look, the, the directions there are, are for the man to the man. And the directions for the women are to the women. It's not for us to then pull up the Bible and shove it in the person's face and say, you're not doing this. No. We need to let the self die in our marriages. What about in our time? Right? Time is money, they say. Time is important and it's fleeting. And some people live their whole life to, to buy more time. But are we putting God first in our time? Are we setting time aside for personal Bible reading, for our own devotion? Going to church. Amen that you guys are here this morning. Look at you're setting time aside to take time to gather with the brethren to go to church. And are, are we growing spiritually? Are we setting time aside so that we can grow spiritually? You know, something I recognized over the last year and a half or almost two years now is that COVID really turned into an excuse for people to not go to church. You know, I think there was a time where everyone didn't know what was happening. It was scared. So we shut down. We went to the internet and started doing the live uh, Bible studies. But now I think people have gotten used to the whole internet church that they're forsaking the gathering of the brethren. And we can't do that. This is why it's important that we meet together in person. So we need to set, make sure that we're dying to ourselves and our time. Man, how much time do we spend for some of us younger ones just scrolling on our phones and scrolling? Or, and it's like, oh, I, it's hard for me to read, but yet we're reading on our phone all the time. So, you know, Maybe we need to die to ourselves in our time of what, what are our priorities? What about in our responsibilities? Like whether you're a husband, a wife, a worker, are we being that good worker, that good servant? Are we dying to ourselves in it? Am, am I dying to myself when I'm on, my, on a job site and maybe it just seems tedious or mundane? I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I have to go to work today. Is that my heart? Is that my attitude? Or am I like, you know what, Lord? You've called me to serve you in this job, in this position. So let me do it unto you. Because when you realize that, that God is your boss, that man, all of a sudden that, that service that you're doing in work, it turns into worship. What about our finances? Are we dying to ourselves and our finances? You know, there's this crazy rule. I, lo I love how the Lord designed it in the Old Testament, and we still practice it today. He says, look, I'm going to give you all this, and, and I want to ask that you would give me that tenth, that tithe. Now, in, in the New Testament, you know, it, we're, we're more free in our, in our giving, or it's not that harsh rule, but what is the rule is that we give joyfully. And, and I'm reminded though, that there is some spiritual truths to giving. Now, let me preface this by saying, if you're visiting here, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to ask anyone for money because I've seen God provide for this place. 
It's, it's amazing, honestly. When I, I know my rent is coming for this place and just to see how God provides, it's like, wow, God, you're awesome. But I still have to put God first in my own finances. And, you know, at times, I, maybe I, I'm not paying attention to it and I have to go back to, wait, what am I doing with my finances? And I have to take off the, t- off the top because in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, I want to read you a few verses. Actually, if you guys have your Bibles, which I know you do, turn to Malachi in the Old Testament. Because there was a problem that was happening with the Israelites. And God saw this and he needed to correct it. In Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So look at this was the one thing that God said the Israelites can test him in. That if they, when they don't give to him, that he doesn't bless them abundantly so that they can't even contain it. And I, I think if, if we're in our finances, we're we're not putting God first, then we're not going to see that blessing. And God has his ways of getting what belongs to him. Because sometimes we're holding back what belongs to him. And so God said, okay, I'm going to take it another way. And I exhort you guys this morning, you don't even need to give to redeem church. You just need to give to God, whether it's financially. I'm sure there's plenty of ministries out there. So put God first in your finances and just see him bless you. I challenge you guys, exhort you guys, watch him bless you. And if you guys are already doing that, this is my encouragement. That's awesome. Keep doing it. Continue in doing that. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? which is leads me to my, my fourth point this morning. Count the cost. Title of the study. You see, if you have a desire to do something, God's given you vision, insight. Awesome. Pray about it. You know, don't just run and, and, and do the first thing that comes to your mind. You're like, yes, God's telling me to, to go to Africa. All right, get the, the tickets. And then you didn't tell your family, your wife, what's going on. <laughs> you know, pray about it first. If there's a door, for you to do this, this thing, if there's an opportunity, if there's a desire, and if it's not sin, and if you have a peace about it, then go in faith and, and let the Lord lead you. But we, you also need to count the cost and not just finances, but your spiritual walk. What, what it's going to cost your spiritual walk. 
what it's going to cost your, your relationships that you're involved in, how it's going to affect your family. I had a really unique, I would say for me personally, experience uh, of being a believer. When I, when I first got saved to now in my, my balancing of work and ministry. Now, I'll give you guys a little uh, explanation. So I, when I first got saved, I was working for In-N-Out Burger. Quality you can taste. They're fighting up in San Francisco. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be affected though if that store closed. So, <laughs> so I was working at In-N-Out Burger. I got saved and I wasn't doing too much as far as academia at the moment. And I had this unique opportunity to, uh, to actually join the high school ministry as a, you know, kind of like a disciple in there and, and spend a lot of time at church. And I had a, you know, I was working part time with In-N-Out Burger and it was great because I, I felt like I was getting the word and I was getting built up spiritually. And then I would go to In-N-Out Burger, which even within itself, there, there's still a lot of worldly pr- people. It's a secular company within itself. Um, and so I, I would feel like, okay, I would get the word and I would get sp- like that spiritual ener- energy from the Lord. And now I'd go to work and I'd be sharing with people. And I was like, man, this is really cool balance that I felt like I had. And then the Lord allowed me to get a full-time job uh, as an HVAC technician. And suddenly I was, I was not used to not having as much time in ministry and being around church. And suddenly I felt like, man, I was going through the work week and I was working with these construction guys who were their level of vulgarity is just on a new level. And, and it was just like, man, I was getting bombarded with just the world at that time. And then when I would slide into Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings for a Bible study, I felt like I was sliding into home base. And I was like, just like weak, like, man, I just need to be around church. Like God, like just get me there. And it was, it was hard. That was a really hard season where I felt like I was dry. And I was like, man, if only I could just be at church all the time. And I was praying like for the Lord and to, to just, you know, change my schedule or whatnot. And then God opened the door for me to be full-time ministry 24 seven. So I started to do that. And when I did, when I stepped into that new season of life, I was so surprised. I was so surprised that I couldn't run away from myself. I couldn't run away from the sin that was in my own life. And I was working in a church and yet I was a sinner. And I'll, suddenly there was no more safe places anymore for me to slide into. And I realized that it was me. That I was the one who needed my heart to be worked on. And, and so, you know, balance in ministry and work life. Yeah, there needs to be balance. But the Lord takes us through seasons. And maybe he's preparing you. Oh no, not maybe. I know he's preparing you for the next season. So everything is preparation. Now I've even met guys who they didn't count the cost. Some of my friends who, uh, when I was growing up in ministry, they, they felt stirred up in their heart and they wanted to go uh, do some really awesome stuff for the Lord, but they didn't begin to count the cost in some of their actions. 
There was a, a friend of mine that I had who he said, he was like, okay, I'm going to leave the church so I could go do missions work. And then right after he said that and he left the church, he ended up getting married. And because he got married, then he needed to, you know, to support his wife. So he got a job. But then the job that he got looked like it was some sort of pyramid scheme type job. And I was like, man, well, I wonder why he's doing that. And I wouldn't see him at church anymore. Didn't hear from him for a while. And then sad to say, like years later, I, they got divorced. And I was like, man, like it broke my heart because this guy was like, I felt like, dude, he was like one of the apostles or something. He was, he was so in the word and so being used by the Lord for that season in his life. But then because he didn't count the cost and he didn't put first things first, he got away. He got his heart away from the Lord. And I saw the results of that in his life. So our actions, they have consequences. We have to realize that what we're doing, it's when we sow to the spirit, we're going to reap of the spirit. And when we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap of the flesh. Let's look at verse 29. He says, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Sometimes Christians, and we do it ourselves, we make the church look really bad when we start taking on these directions without the Holy Spirit's guiding Because we say we have the Holy Spirit guiding us in our life. We proclaim that the God of the universe has a relationship with us and speaks to us. And then the people from the world, when they see us failing in our marriages, failing in our jobs, they're like, wait a second, this this guy said he, he talks to God. Then why is, man, like, doesn't look like it. Do you guys remember after King David sinned, Nathan told him, after he confronted him, Nathan told him, the prophet told him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, because David sinned with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, Nathan interceded and rebuked him. And he said this, by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Man, David was compromised. And because of this, because he gave the enemies of the Lord an occasion to blaspheme, because they saw, wait, David's supposed to be a man of God, and yet he's having an affair. He's murdering. So I'm not going to follow that God. I'm not going to follow their God. Their God's not real. And they were blaspheming the Lord. And the Lord took that seriously. That David had given them room to do so. And there was justice. And judgment. See, when we get to those points where we begin to compromise, we're not abiding. We're not praying and seeking God. And we attempt to make success apart from God. You know what's scary to me? I'm terrified that this church becomes successful apart from the Holy Spirit. 
Because then all I'm doing is I'm just faking the funk and I'm doing works and I'm, it's not really the Holy Spirit working through me or I should say in me. Because there could be people who are being blessed and who are following in Jesus' footsteps who are sitting here. But if I'm not with the Lord, if I'm not let, allowing the Lord to work in me, man, I'm, I'm just preparing myself for hell. And now I have the judgment of the, the word, the truth right here convicting me. In Psalms chapter 127, verse 1. The psalmist writes, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So when I think of my marriage, when I think of ministry and my work, the things that got the Lord's involved me in, I have to let God do the building. I have to let God do the work because then if I try to do the work in my flesh and in my own strength, I'm laboring in vain. We can do nothing of eternal value without Jesus. Jesus even said, everything that I do is part of the Father. I don't do anything without the Father. I can do nothing apart from him. And we in like manner must be like, okay, I, I can't do anything apart from my Jesus that has eternal value. Because I can do a whole lot of idiocracy when I'm apart from the Lord. Let's look at verse 31. He says, Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Something I, I recognize here now it's counting the cost in, in warfare. And I think of spiritual warfare. And do you guys realize you, you, you guys are under spiritual attack? Do you guys know that? What would it cost for a king to lose in warfare? It would cost him everything. Let me ask you guys this. Do you guys want to be in the Lord's army? I mean it. Do, do you guys really, do you want to be signed up in this battle that we're in? You know, people have asked me that question before. Because there's times when we feel like, man, like, not today. Like, I don't want to do it today. I don't want to fight today. I don't want to get up and, and read. I don't want to get in the battle. But look. War is upon you whether, you, whether you like it or not. And we could either have the battle, the armor of the Lord on us or, or not. But we need to count the cost. Do you want to go deeper? Man, because we say like, Lord, take me deep, Father. And we sing those worship songs. And maybe sometimes you catch yourself and you're like, like Lord, take me deeper. And you're like, wait, 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 don't, don't, don't take me deeper. <laughs> Because it's like, you already feel like you're in deep waters, right? And right when you think like, man, I'm in, I'm in deep waters right here. This is tough. This is hard. Suddenly the Lord takes you to a new level and you're like, oh man, I thought those waters back there were deep, but now I'm in it. So 
Here's the blessing in that though. Is that the Lord is doing a work in you and through you that you yourself can't create. That God is creating and preparing something for eternity in you. In verse 32, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. This leads me to my fifth point. No compromise. There can be no compromise in the believer's life. That means we need to fully surrender to Jesus and allow him to fight our battles. And so many times we, we want to avenge ourselves, right? We, we want to fight our own battles, especially if somebody wrongs us. We're like, I'm going to get that person back. I'm going to get him. Chris scared me. I'm going to get him. <laughs> I love you, Chris. But allow God to fight your battles. Uh, allow the Lord to, to go before you. And just watch because sometimes you're, you're out there trying to defend yourself. And so the Lord's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to let you try to defend yourself. And then when you finally give up and you're like, okay, God, I need you to defend me. He does it way better. We can't be lukewarm. I stand here before you guys to let you know I mess up every day. And so when I get my eyes off of Jesus, I begin to get messed up. I'm a sinner. So the only way that I can be victorious in this life is to, to surrender to Jesus. Do you guys remember the, the account of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah? So Lot and his family, right? They're, they needed to, to, to leave Abraham's family because the families were getting too big. People were starting to argue over the cows. And Abraham told Lot, he said, look, you could choose wherever you want to go. If you choose that way, I'll go this way. If you choose the other way, I'll go the other way. And Lot looked out and he saw the plains right before Sodom and Gomorrah. They looked beautiful. And Lot was like, I like that area. I'm going to go that way. So then Lot took him and his family and they went. And it says that he pitched his tent facing Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city at the time. And as you continue on in Lot's story, suddenly you see him. Now he starts hanging out at the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. And to be there at the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah, what it meant is that you were part of the political people. You were part of the, the rich and also the, the people who were well known in that city. So Lot became someone important in that city. Man, how did he do that? And then when Abraham is, is met with the Lord and with the angels, they tell Abraham, we're going to destroy this city because the wickedness is crying out to the Lord. And Abraham was like, just spare the city. If, if you just find even 10 people, would you spare the city? And the angels were like, yeah, we'll spare it if we find 10 people. But they couldn't even find 10 righteous people in that city. So then the angels, they go to Lot. They appear to him and he says, hey, okay, he sees them in the courtyard and he says, come, come into my house with me because he knows it's dangerous out there in the city. And the angels go with him to his house. And then the men of that city, they were, they were homosexual and they were rapists. They go and they knock on Abraham's door and they say, hey, 
We saw those two guys who went in there with you referring to the angels. Bring them out because we're going to know them carnally. And Lot was like, hey, this isn't right. No, leave them alone. In fact, I'll give you my two daughters. Why don't you take them instead? Can you imagine how far somebody has to go to, to have the mindset where they're willing to give away their daughters to a mob of men? How far did Lot go? How much did he compromise? And where did it all start? He was just looking out at something that he thought was good. And thankfully, the angels, they grab Lot, his family, they get him out of there. But then Sarah, his wife, because she was so in love with that worldly city, as the Lord told him, don't look back. The angels told him, don't look back. But Sarah looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. That's what happens when we compromise in our life. That's what happens when we allow the enemy to have a foothold. So we can't give the enemy a foothold. Continuing on in verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is my last point. Don't leave your purpose. Don't leave it. Salt has a purpose. We use it on our food. It has a preserving factor to it, especially in their times. They use it not only for seasoning, but they used it to preserve things. But if that salt lost its flavor, then it has no purpose Why are you going to put it on food? It's just going to turn like munchy. You have a purpose. If you're not fulfilling that purpose that God designed you for, man, your life is vanity. And then we wonder why we're so frustrated and why we're so anxious and just feeling unfulfilled. It's because we're not living that one thing that God has made us to be. It's like, what is that? Maybe... This morning, you're like, well, I want that in my life. I want to be living that purpose-filled life. How do I do it? Where do I start? Simply put, be holy. God's going to guide you in that. And I leave us with this verse. I'll talk about it a little bit. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes to the Roman church, he says, I beseech, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? This is God's will for your life. That you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you offer yourself a a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice once and done, but it's a daily thing. In Revelations, the Bible teaches us that we were created for God's good pleasure. So 
when you began to just say, okay, God, you lead the way. You tell me where to go, who to talk to, and, and what to do. As you start to do those things, all of a sudden, you're going to start to realize, like, whoa, like, why do I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? Why do I feel like, even in trials, the trials that the Lord allows you to endure, you're going to have that sense of, like, man, like, I just know this is where Jesus wants me. And I'm able to endure this trial because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And the Lord offers that purpose-filled life to us every day. So let's walk in it. So some of the things that I saw in this study, look, family is your ministry. We got to guard them. We got to protect them, love them. And no one takes Jesus's place. He's first. So let's let the self die, our old nature, and count the cost of what it is, of what God is calling you to. Realize the effects of it. We cannot have compromise in our life, and we don't want to leave our purpose. Let's pray.